If you would turn with me again to Hebrews chapter 11. Now I would like to read again the first six verses. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. For by it the men of old gained approval. By faith we understand that the, words, the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous, God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God took him up for he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. And without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. I want us to turn our attention tonight to verse 4. We see in verse 4 the first example of faith that we're given. And it goes all the way back to the very beginning of time. And it is in the account of Cain and Abel. Verse 4 says, By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous, God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. Now, if you would turn with me back to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. And let's read the first ten verses. Now the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. And again she gave birth to his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. And Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry, and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, that you must, but you must master it. And Cain told Abel his brother, and it came about that when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And then if you would turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 24. Hebrews chapter 12. And verse 24, where we read this, and it's talking about that we are coming to these things in the new covenant, and it says we come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. Now, in each of these accounts, we read that Abel speaks. His voice cries from the ground, we read in Genesis Though dead, he still speaks. We read in, in chapter 11, verse 4, which is our text for tonight. And then here in chapter 12, verse 24, Jesus speaks better than Abel. 
Now please consider with me tonight the voice of Abel, and I want us to look at the voice of Abel and his speaking to us under four headings. The first is the voice of his name. The second is the voice of his offering. The third is the voice of his approval. And the last is the voice of his blood. So let's begin by considering the voice of his name. Do you know what the name Abel means? Abel means breath or vapor or cloud or mist. It is often translated by the word vanity. In Ecclesiastes, when we read vanity of vanity, all is vanity. It is the same word. It's the word Abel. What were Adam and Eve thinking about when they used this name to uh, name this young child? This is their second son that's been born. Well, we don't really know exactly what they were thinking. Let me suggest a couple of things to you. Maybe they were thinking about the futility of life after the fall. Adam and Eve have just had their life changed in the most radical way. We can't even begin to imagine what it was like to be in the garden, to be in innocence, to be in that world of perfection, and then to suddenly be thrown into this fallen world, this world of sin. For them, everything had changed, and now life was frustrating and hard. It was now tenuous, and it was brief, and it was uncertain. And this man's name should speak to us when we consider his name Abel, vapor, vanity. Psalm 39.5, I'm just going to just quickly read a few verses to you. Psalm 39.5 says this, Behold, you have made my days as handbreadths, that is, as the, the width of your hand, and my lifetime as nothing in your sight. Surely every man at his best is a mere breath. Psalm 90, verse 10. As for the days of our life, they contain 70 years, or if due to strength, 80 years. Yet their pride is but labor and sorrow, for soon it is gone, and we fly away. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 6 and 7. All flesh is grass, and all of its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows upon it, surely the people are grass. Romans 8.20 tells us, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. James 4.14 Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes, vanishes away. And when we think about this world, untold multitudes have lived on this earth. And where are they now? If the Lord tarries another 50 years, another 100 years, every one of us here will be gone. Abel name, Abel's name speaks to us about this life. We don't have control over it. It is fleeting. And because of sin, it is leading us quickly to a bad end. Unless, like Abel, we have a Savior. We are people of faith. That we have, unless we have a deliverer, one who is not subject to, to vanity and one who can deliver us from it. We need to consider the Lord Jesus Christ. His life on this earth was just a vapor. Just 33 years, 33 short years, and he breathed his laugh last before he goes to the cross and to the tomb. And then, of course, we know he is raised from the dead. But in his short life, the Lord Jesus took all of your vanity and my vanity on himself, 
and it became his vanity so that we might so that we might matter and that we might endure and that we might no longer be just like vapor. And this is why the, the gospel is so glorious. If you would turn with me just a few pages over from Hebrews to 1 Peter chapter 1. And I would like uh, to read the verses 3, 4, and 5. This is why the gospel is so glorious. I am just the morning mist like the word Abel. But look what Christ has done. Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. My words are vanity, vapor, mist, emptiness. Christ's words for me that we've just read in 1 Peter chapter 1, Christ's words for me are words like this, imperishable, undefiled, will not fade, reserved in heaven, protected, power. Those are the words that come to me from the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I would suggest to you that that's what we should be looking for when we consider the name Abel. And when we put the name Abel and the name Christ together, or the name Jesus together, we have the gospel. Abel, vanity, but Jesus Savior. The voice of Abel also speaks to us by Abel's offering. The question is always asked when, when Cain and Abel are being considered, why did God receive Abel's offering and not Cain's? One answer that is often given is that Abel's offering was a blood offering while Cain's was not. Many ancient commentators right up to this very day, contemporary ones today, give us this explanation that it was because Abel's offering was a blood offering and Cain's was not. I have to say that I don't believe that this is the right answer. Think about this question for a moment. If Abel had been the tiller of the ground, the farmer, and Cain had been the keeper of the flocks, the shepherd, would God have accepted the offering of Cain and rejected the offering of Abel? Would that switch of roles and offerings have made the difference? I would suggest to you that it would not. Remember that later in the sacrificial system, in addition to the animal sacrifices, there were many other offerings that were accepted. There was offerings of grain and bread and oil. And note a, couple, note a couple things about the text in Genesis chapter 4. Let me turn back over to Genesis 4. Note with me, first of all, that both Cain and Abel went to church, and that is not what set them apart. In verse 3 we read this. So it, came up, so it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Now, the words in the course of time are literally at the end of a period of days. And almost certainly this is a reference to the weekly Sabbath. 
The week is the specific uh, period of time that has been identified in the, the account of the creation of the world and the beginning of history. And so at the appointed time, when the right number of days had passed, they both bring their offerings. Note that Cain brought an offering, the language of our verses say, Cain brought an offering, but Abel brought from the firstlings and the fat portions. Now, most commentators see a difference in this way. Cain brings something, but Abel brings his first and his best. Cain, we might say it this way, Cain goes through the motions. Abel brings an offering from the heart. Now, there's been much speculation about exactly how the Lord regarded the one and not the other. Some have suggested that fire came down from heaven and consumed Abel's offering and left Cain's offering untouched. Some have suggested that the Shekinah glory that we see later uh, appear in the, uh, in the temple and in the tabernacle, that that may have appeared over Abel's offering, but not over Cain's. Some have suggested that God spoke with an audible voice. We do see God speaking with Cain later in this chapter, in Genesis chapter 4. It may be that it was a matter of just good conscience on the part of one and a, and a bad conscience on the part of the, of the other. We don't know, but we do know this. It was clear what pleased the Lord and what did not. Now let me suggest something that we should, that we should, that we should consider. Excuse me. Is it fair to say that faith is always based on the Word of God? I would hope we say yes. That's a fair statement to make. We never just make up what we are to believe. And I think we make a mistake when we think that the ancient believers had almost no information about God. We sometimes think about them as if they were just stumbling around in the dark and they, they didn't know very much about God or what they ought to be doing or what, it, what would please the Lord. I believe that Cain and Abel knew exactly what they were to do when worshiping God and participating in the elements of that worship, one element of their worship being the bringing of a sacrifice. And that is why one was accepted and one was not. Our text in Hebrews says it was by faith Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain. One believed God and as a believing person, acted according to the Word of God. And we're not told until we get to the book of Exodus the details of what God says to His people. And in Genesis, it's pretty much just a historical account, a narrative of events and things that happen. But I suggest that God was always revealing to His people His Word. Let me give you two examples of why we might think such a thing. Look with me at Hebrews, excuse me, Genesis chapter 7. Genesis chapter 7, and verses 1 through 5. Then the Lord said to Noah, Enter the ark, you and all your household, for you alone have seen, to, have, have seen to be righteous before me in this time. You shall take with you every clean animal by sevens, a male and his female, and of, and, and of the animals that are not clean, two, a male and his female. Also of the birds of the sky, by sevens, male and female, to keep the offspring alive on the face of all the earth. And after seven more days, I will send rain on the earth forty days and forty nights. And I will blot out from the face of the earth every living thing that I have made, 
And Noah did according to all that the Lord had commanded. Now let me ask you a question. How did Noah know which animals were the clean animals and which animals were not the clean animals? Did we read anywhere before Genesis chapter 7 where God tells us what clean and unclean animals are? And yet isn't it clear that Noah knows what the clean animals are and what the, what the, the animals that are not clean, what they are? Uh, I would suggest to you uh, that there's not a list here. We don't see a list until we get to the book of Leviticus and to the book of Deuteronomy where there's a great deal of detailed information about what the clean animals are and the unclean animals, but not in the book of Genesis. But yet Noah knows such a thing. Look, at, look with me at Genesis chapter 26. Genesis chapter 26, verse 1. Now there was a famine in the land, besides the previous famine that had occurred in the days of Abraham. So Isaac went, so Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Stay in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and to your descendants I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath which I swore to your father Abraham. And I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, and I will give you descendants, your descendants all these lands, and by your descendants all the nations of the earth will, shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed me and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Now let me ask you, in the book of Genesis, where do we have a record of what God's commandments and His statutes and His laws are? And the answer is we don't have any record of that. And yet, uh, the testimony here in Genesis chapter 26 is, is that God did in fact give Abraham those things. He had commandments and statutes of, and laws. And that Abraham observed those things. He kept those things. So I, I think that, that Cain knew and that Abel knew exactly how to please God, but that Cain's unbelieving heart would not do it. And we'll go back to Genesis chapter 4, in verses 6 and 7. We read this. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desires for you. You must master it. Notice that, note that what God says to Cain is, do well. I would suggest that the implication there is that Cain knows exactly what he ought to do to do well, but because he's an unbelieving man, he will not do what God has instructed him to do. He knows the difference between doing well and not doing well. In all offerings to the Lord, the idea is always that you bring to God your very best. You give to the Lord a sacrifice that costs you something. And let me assert this as an absolute spiritual principle. It is always the offerer and never the thing offered that makes the difference. Always. Note that in verse 4, at the end of the verse, it says, And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. God had regard to Abel, and therefore he had regard for his offering. And of course, again, the writer of Hebrews tells us very plainly, by faith, because Abel does what he does in obedience to God's word, 
because he was a believer. Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain. Calvin commenting on Hebrews 1.4 says this, Abel's sacrifice was for no other reason preferable to that of his brother except that it was sanctified by faith. For surely the fat of brute animals did not, sm did not smell so sweetly that it could by its odor pacify God. The scripture indeed shows plainly why, God's, why God accepted his sacrifice. For Moses' words are these, God had respect to Abel and to his gifts. It is hence obvious to conclude that his sacrifice was accepted because he himself was graciously accepted. And how did he obtain this favor except that his heart was purified by faith? Abel, the believer, was accepted. Cain, the unbeliever, was not accepted. And note Cain's reaction. Cain was very angry. He was proud. When God rejected his offering, he was not humbled. He was not repentant. He was angry that God did not accept his attempt to please God by his own works and in his own way. And his anger will lead to the first death in the history of the world when in anger and jealousy he, and jealousy, he murders his brother Abel. Cain will be forever identified as the seed, as being one of the seed of the serpent and a child of the devil. The issue wasn't that Abel brought blood and Cain did not. The issue was that Abel had faith and offered up his best to God from his heart. We can do all the right things. We can pile up sacrifices as high as Mount Everest, but it will not do any good at all if we do not have faith. If we are not a person of faith, it is only through faith that we are ever able to please God. And this is the voice of Abel's sacrifice. Now consider with me the voice of his approval. Our verse in Hebrews says, through which, that is, through faith, he obtained the testimony that he was righteous, God testifying about his gifts. Here our writer is giving us the first example of what he said in verse 2, for by it, faith, the men of old, gained approval. Here we see the doctrine of justification by faith. He was regarded as righteous because he was a believer. Abel is the first Old Testament person to be specifically identified as one who has been justified by faith. Abel is the first one that we can look back and see. Here is what God means when he says, But my righteous one shall live by faith. Jesus Christ, several thousand years later, will call him righteous Abel in Matthew 23, 35. Let me make sure that one thing is clear to all of us. Abel was not righteous because he brought an offering to God. We need to be clear that the righteousness that believers have comes first before works. We are justified. We are declared righteous on the basis of faith alone. And that faith that God declares righteous then works. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 2. This is a familiar passage, but let me remind you of the sequence of these things in the life of God's people. Ephesians chapter 2. Verses 8 and 9. For by, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. 
not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. But then look at what the very next verse says. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Verse 10 tells us that we are created for this very reason, that we will have good works. But the sequence goes like this. It is grace, and then it is faith, and then it is good works. Now, it is an absolute certainty that when we are born again, when God does this kind of creative work in our life, giving us the gift of faith, and then putting us on the path of good works that it says in our verse that He has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It is a certainty that those things will happen, that a person of true faith will work. But it is never works that is the basis of our acceptance with God. I read some verses this morning about justification by faith, but let me read one that I did not read this morning, and that is Galatians 2.16, which says this, Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. And this is the message, this is the voice that we hear from Abel, the voice of his approval. We are accepted in the beloved one in whom we believe. We are not accepted on the basis of our sacrifices or our works. And then let's consider, lastly, the voice of his blood. Now back in Genesis 4 again, in verses 9 and 10, we read this. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Abel's blood cries for justice and retribution. Christ's blood speaks something better. We read about that in Hebrews 12, 24, the verse we read earlier. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and through the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. Abel's blood cries for justice. His blood cries for retribution. Christ speaks something better. Now the word better means more useful or more advantageous or more excellent. It's used 12 times in the book of Hebrews, this particular word better, when it says that, that Christ's blood speaks better than that of Abel. In chapter 1, verse 4, Christ is better than the angels. In 6, 9, we are convinced of better things of you. In 7, 7, the lesser is blessed by the greater, and the word greater there is the better. In 7.19, there is the bringing in of a better hope. In 7.22, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. In 8.6, a better covenant is based on better promises. 9.23, there are better sacrifices. 10.34, a better possession and a lasting one. 11.16, a better country. 11.35, a better resu resurrection. 11.40, God has provided something better for us. And then in 12.24, 
the blood which speaks better than Abel. And so we see this word over and over again, a word that means more excellent. The blood of Christ speaks redemption, not condemnation. It speaks of acceptance rather than rejection, of blessing rather than curses. It speaks about mercy and pardon rather than judgment. Now, I don't think we sing the song, Glory Be to Jesus here, do we? If we do, we haven't in a long time. I don't think we do. How many of you know that song, Glory Be to Jesus? Well, let me read you the words of this hymn. I know some of you do know it and you'll recognize it when I read these words. This hymn says this, Glory be to Jesus, who in bitter pains poured for me the lifeblood from his sacred veins. Grace and life eternal in that blood I find. Blessed be his compassion, infinitely kind. Blessed from endless ages be the precious stream, which from endless torments doth the world redeem. Abel's blood for vengeance pleaded to the skies, but the blood of Jesus for our pardon cries. Oft is earth exulting, wafts its praise on high, angels hosts rejoicing make their glad reply. Lift we then our voices, swell the mighty flood, louder still and louder, praise the precious blood, the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which speaks better than that of Abel. Now our verse ends back in our text in Hebrews eleven four. It ends with the words, And through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. Abel's life is a testimony to us. His life still speaks to us thousands of years later. As far as we know, Abel was the fourth person to ever live in the history of this world. And from that distant past, he comes through all the centuries right here to us in this faraway time and place. And what message does he speak to us? What lessons can we learn from him? Well, there are many, but I want to mention just two. The first is this. True faith is the source of true worship. Abel is a worshiper pleasing to God because he is a believing person. You can be here this evening and you can be singing the songs and participating in this worship service, but if you do not have faith, it is not true worship and it is not pleasing to God. To use the language of Genesis 4, God will not have regard for it. God knows every one of our hearts and knows whether or not we are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Does God have regard for your worship this evening? Because you are accepted in the Beloved One, I pray that He does. The other lesson I want us to learn from, from Abel is this. True faith leads us to give to God our very best. Abel brought the firstlings to God out of a believing heart. There is something about faith, about real faith in the heart that not only rests in God, but faith has a desire to give the very best that we have to our God. We sang to him just a few minutes ago when I surveyed the wondrous cross. You remember that verse? Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small, love so amazing, so divine, demand, demands my soul, my life, my all. I would suggest to you that that is the, the, the thoughts the ideas that we have if we have a, a heart of genuine faith and love for our Lord Jesus Christ. Does your heart say, God, 
deserve my all. There is something about faith that says, if this God has done this for me, if he has showered free free grace and abundant mercy on me, then I am not my own. I am his, and I'm going to give him my very best because of faith. It's not honoring to the Lord to look at salvation as some kind of great escape by which we think we're going to be safe on the last day. But we have every, but at the same time, while we have every intention between now and then to live our life just as we please, it doesn't honor God because that is not real faith, and I can tell you with certainty that is not a faith that will take you to heaven. Real faith does something in us that demonstrates itself in worship, and service to our God. No doubt Adam and Eve told them, that is, Cain and Abel. They said, listen, Cain. Listen, Abel. There is coming a day when the seed of the woman will come and crush the head of the serpent, and we will be delivered from our sins. That's God's promise to us. And Abel believed that promise by faith, but Cain did not. Abel had the promise of Genesis 3.15 that we've talked about recently in our Wednesday night study. And it was for him the substance of things hoped for and the proof of things not seen. And as a result of his faith, God accepted Abel's sacrifice because he had already accepted Abel. And there's only one way for you to be accepted by God. And you know, we turn it all upside down today. We always want to talk about uh, whether or not we have accepted Christ. That's not really the question that we ought to be concerned with. The question is, has God accepted us? And there's only one way for for you to be accepted by God, and that is for you to cling to the only sacrifice that pleases God, which is Jesus Christ, His Son. Abel points us to this kind of saving faith. Martin Luther said this about Abel. He said, He who, when he was actually alive, could not teach even his only brother by his faith and example. Now that he is dead, teaches the whole world. He is more alive than ever. So great a thing is faith. It is nothing less than life in God. Do you want to leave a legacy? Do you want, do you want to speak even after you are dead? If you do, I would suggest that there is this one way that we can do that, and it is to live a life of faith. You know that to trust your own good works instead of the goodness of Christ is the height of insult to God. If you're not a Christian, I beg you, I plead with you, put all of your hope on Him. Lay hold of Christ by faith. Make faith in Christ your very own. May God give us all grace to understand these things, to listen to Abel as He speaks to us, and to believe. Amen. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, I do pray that we would hear the voice 